So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom, everybody. I'm so excited about today's discussion because it is context heavy. I've got my co-host, Rock, back with us. He's been like gone forever because he's been so busy. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Doing good. It has been a crazy start to the year for both of us, so it's glad to be back on here and attacking it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, you, you've been texting me. I'm like, I'm like, man, I, I'm trying to meet up with you. I'm trying to meet up with you. We tried like three times this weekend. Yeah. And I've just been one with all the, my current business and then adding on these other businesses we're launching because it's really just a brands holding company. And then the real estate, I'm finally finishing this triplex. Oh, that's another podcast we got to do. I got some people emailing me about that. Just the full in-depth yeah. thing on the triplex, but finishing the rentals and just kind of getting back to my normal daily schedule, yeah. which yeah. has been a while since I've had that because I've just been doing everything. You know, it's interesting because we've been in the same boat where I feel like in a lot of people, we, we, we've had this conversation, a lot of people this year, I think, are on to this new phase. And we're on to a new phase also in kind of like an economic cycle. And a lot of people are feeling it. And I think that's driven a lot of conversations on other podcasts. We see it in events that we're at. Everybody's like, what's the next step? And everybody is like, do I brace for a downturn? And how do I get my business to the next step? Like, where do I go from here? We're in a mature phase in the economy, right? So the cycle has matured out. We don't know what's really going um, to be in, in the future. But at the same time, businesses that have ridden this economic swing, so we've restructured at the bottom, ridden to the top, you have lots of them that are now trying to figure out how do I move to forward. the next step. How yeah. do I move forward? And, you know, our conversation today, you know, with both us, we have been restructuring, reformatting, and creating so much for the next level, for moving up. And this is a constant thing that you're doing with scaling and scaling operations in a business as you move from different points. Right. Right. And yeah. there's the get profitable. Right. It's does just, my idea work? Yeah, does get my idea work? Yeah. Get profitable. And then to creating an actual functioning operating business without you and re- being able to remove and then growing it. So there's these different phases and life cycles. Um, and as we were discussing today, you know, you see so many people in them. And it's interesting when you have multiple companies. Like I have my different companies and they're each at different phases. Right. And so the ones that are at the, the, the top, the larger phase, that's that's new for me. I got to figure out how to go to the next level. How do you operate like there? that? Yeah. How do I operate like that? And I've had to change systems uh, to create opportunities. And I've had to change the way we structure things as far as doing deals. And then I have other businesses where I'm in the mid phase where we're trying to go through expansion, rapid expansion and growth, yep. creating the infrastructure. But because I'm used to that, that's easy. That's just, okay, we're going to move through there. There's patterns bring that on. There's repeating. patterns. I know what, you know what we need to do, how, how to do it. And then we have other ones that are just infinite, right? Yeah, we're just some... still testing almost. It's like we don't really know how they will su- succeed and where they'll go from here. So it's like we have them in every single phase, yeah. which is interesting when you're – when you have an incubator almost of different businesses, businesses, types, brands, um, like the one industries. we're la- the brand that we're launching, 
like I have a pretty good assumption that we can make like we'll produce a cash flow off of it, but the scale of it, like because with my experience and obviously the just like the over our overall experience and and I think that but but like you're saying to some people it might seem like oh yeah that'll work no like it totally could fail but it's a calculated risk because I can see what other people are doing and I can see what I've done and how I can make it work and the idea is that we just emulate what our successful competitors are doing and and then you get to that phase where you need to plug people in and plug operations in which is the topic of today is like daily tasks and operations and how do you scale well in you know as you know as you've seen I'm seeing when you're taking calculated risks and a lot of people are like you know I don't understand how people can be successful multiple times they keep making successful businesses whether it's Elon Musk and others and it, one of the main things you have to understand is it's success isn't luck it's not you're not gambling right, right? and rolling the dice and you're like wow I just got lucky yeah. and so it's not going to happen again once you figure out the patterns yeah. and you understand things you kill products it's a probability business stuff before they ever the ones that are going to fail you kill before they ever come up or the ones that are going to fail with you right so I have tons of businesses that I've either thought of or that I've killed I mean just so many that I've killed before they ever come to fruition. Because by the time that I'm going to invest large amounts of capital, time, and energy, I realize this isn't going to succeed. Right. And it's not that it won't succeed. It won't succeed under me. Right. And I'm very aware of what I can do, what I can pull off, and how that future will work. So when you talk about calculated risks, you have to understand it, it's calculated risk coming from a point of understanding what it takes to make it successful and also what has the odds of being successful through experience. Right. And That's probably the biggest factor is experience. It is. And yeah. most of the time you have no idea until you try it and, and fail what you, or succeed or you know you just got to go. Exactly. And like that the like kind of gearing us into the operations is like when you start a business and it might work it's for the most part it's it's on you. And for a lot of people they're solopreneurs. But then the experience comes into play where you can't really scale a business because you don't even know how it's scaled properly. And you either kind of what you read, you look at mentors, you look at what other companies have done, but you're almost guessing your way up if you're trying to take those leaps. Because a lot of people, that's like I told you um, in a couple conversations, we've talked about how most of my friends and the people that I associate with, they cap in their revenue, in their business between one and three million, because that's technically the cap where you might have a couple part-timers and it's just you, or it just might be you and some VAs or agencies and whatnot, where they don't, the, the leap to get to a five or a 10 or a $50 million company, like for example, Bitterroot, you have what, 50 employees, 40 employees, you, that leap takes experience and it takes uh, like probably emulation of watching these other holdings company, like there's ways to do it, but there's no book. There's no guide. You're kind of just, unless you know the path, you, you, you're almost guessing your way up. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because there are these caps and you see these caps in businesses where, you know, 90 plus percent of successful businesses will fall under yeah. that. And too, because they're based they're solely how they're structured. Cause they're based on that individual alone. And, their odds of failure are so high yeah. because there's no framework for that business to exist without that person. That's not sustainable. Um, it's a job. It's a job. High paying exactly. job. Yeah. High paying job. And two, you also get to the point where people, they get lazy. They're or complacent. Money. Complacent, yeah. 
they're making, they're doing awesome. And it's like, in order to grow, I, I lose my, I lose margin at first. I've got to reallocate resources and I got to work. Yep. And I got to work two jobs because now I got to work on making the money, but then I also have to work on building the business. And until you build the business, right? So the end goal for me always was to a point where I'm not working on the minutia of the business. I have a business and I work on the business, not in the business. And those solo entrepreneurs, they just work in the business. They make good money to work in the business, but creating, getting a situation where they're working on it and getting outside of their business. It's the hardest thing ever. It's so hard. This is exactly what I've been doing for the past three months because I could, you even called me like a couple weeks after I quit and you're like, Hey dude, I want to tell you, I don't want you to get stuck working in it. Like, I don't want you to, cause it's super easy. I could easily see how I would have gotten stuck where I'd just be doing all my order fulfillment, all my, like every single task, like menial tasks, whether it's a $12 an hour task or a $100,000 an hour task, I would have been doing all of them. And I think that was a wake up, but then also I've, I've been reading, uh, have you read like Traction and the, entrep- the EOS yes. books? So EOS books, and I want to talk about how you guys do it so well, but those books and the E-Myth, they all talk about how do I pull yourself out, but in a business that you're, that you're doing it all, you don't have a system to push your work down. So you, you have to create that system. And that system comes through having the money to double, like, cause to invest into the business to create the system. Cause it, you can't build the system with just your words and your ideas. You need to be able to put your money back. Like I view it as products now. Cause I used to think I grew through products only, um, and sales channels and more customers. But the reality is, is like I grow through people, uh, coming in and helping me almost like buying help. Like they come in and like uh, they take over roles and they take responsibilities for certain sections of the business that should generate revenue in some auxiliary way. And that is the hardest thing to do, to get, and, but it's the only thing you can do to get to the next level. And I think there is a tier, like you're saying, but you guys do it so well in this book, uh, it's a, an EOS book called Rocket Fuel. And I think I told you this, I don't think you've read it though. But I told you, I was like, dude, you need to read this book because they talk about the visionary and the integrator and how most great businesses to get to the next level, they have both. The visionary guides the path. They, they have the vision for where the company's going to go. They have the ideas, but the integrator brings it all to reality and they, put the, they, they build the frameworks and the architecture and the infrastructure and all great companies, Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs, and every great company has those two people. And it's very rare that you get just one. But I was thinking about you guys at Bitterroot. And I'm thinking you and Ron are the visionaries, but then you look at Sam and I always told him when I worked here, he's like, I was like, you're the brain. You need, we need to download your brain into a computer because he's able to take everything. And obviously you guys are there too, but he's the one who just pulls it all in and lays the framework. And I think the problem where most companies fail is that they, especially I could see how I would fail because I have the visionary tendency and I'm not very systems oriented. I've been getting more in that way, but it's super hard to find an integrator. And when you find that person, they, they're expensive they, and they might even be on, doing their own business. So it's really hard to find talented integrators, and, but that's how you get there. Yeah. Well, and integrators are interesting because it's in, if you look in our office, it's, it's hilarious because when creating the new office, I was like, we need to be very collaborative, right? We need to be, it needs to be open communicative space where we can execute quickly. We can see each other. We're able to really create, right? And have new ideas. So we created a lot of glass, 
right? Everything's open. There's a space in the middle where it's just tables and everything like that right in the middle so people can get together and work. And out of all the offices, everyone has glass. So you can see in and you can look at each other and we can communicate. All of them except the integrator. The integrator. That's so funny. Yeah. The integrator has a solid door. And he's in his cave, as we call it. And it's so different from my personality. Whereas I would, I, I, you'd come in and find myself hanging. Like I, I just literally kill myself. You, yeah, you just want to be outside. It would be horrible. Right. I like. I need people. I need to be talking, and I need to be thinking and creative mode. I need to be walking, and I need to be collaborating with individuals to execute and make things happen. Whereas he's like, no, I need people to leave me alone so I can produce. I need to be in on my computer. I need to be making connections. I need focused in order to uh, create this framework, right? And so I'm here, and then we pop in, and um, you know, me and Sam work together usually at night when everybody uh, goes away. So at, you know, six thirty at night, me and Sam get together and we start working from there. And that's a time for us to sit down and relay. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. Here's where we need to do. And him saying, okay, you know, here's how it has to happen. Here's how it works. But then we have to put in integrators within it. So most of the framework you see within the company that we work with are integrators. Yeah, they're, they're your operations specialists. Yes. Right. And they need to, I can run a million miles an hour. And my head can be going lots of different directions. So like I'll hire people. And one of the things that I have to hire people for is just simply for them to keep me organized. I literally have a person that I'm like, you have to help me run my emails, my calendar, everything else like that. And each, each individually, each one of those people are bad on their own, right? Nothing happens, right? Like Sam wants to be in his cave working and I want to be out. And if those two things aren't together, it just doesn't happen, right? And they can work alone, but it caps out. Each one would cap out on their own. And um, I think that's the best way that you see growth is you do. You see those two things come together. And then it, it's like, it is, it's like rocket fuel and execution because you're both doing what the business needs. And so you're doubling efforts up and then you're hiring below to create the implementers uh, it's, of the ideas. Yeah. And it, 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 if you look at the EOS chart, you can see that the visionary and the executive team and there's a there's a dashed line under them, and then there's the integrator who's still connected to the executive team and whatnot, but the integrator has the dashed line with the sales and marketing, the finance, the operations under them, and they're kind of reporting to the integrator. And all those roles, if you look at a business, no matter what you're doing, like for me in e-commerce, a lot of my sales and marketing is done through agencies, and I just hired that first guy who's going to be doing a lot of our marketing for us. That's one role who would report to the integrator, not the visionary, because the integrator knows how to take the visionary's vision and put it into a system that is effective. Well, and the visionary needs to be creating opportunities. So you have yes. to understand that if businesses aren't actively cultivating opportunity, they die. And that's really, really important. You know, when you look at Sam, you know, we don't find facilities, we don't grow, they don't start up businesses, right? Like if there's, if you're not out spending a huge amount of your time cultivating and finding opportunity and creating a way or you don't grow at all. You die. Um, And you see people 
cap out because all of a sudden they're doing so much impl- implementing, they're not working on the business. They're so they're in, up it. in it and their business can't grow anymore. Yes. It stifles, right? It's like a plant in the shade that has no more access to sun. It just cannot grow. It doesn't have what it needs. If you look at this on the sales side, if you look at that, you know, from our other business, we have salespeople and you have account executives. Those people have to work together and they're both equally important, but we always have to work very hard because you have these salespeople that are, these are visionary people, yeah. right? They are the people that are driven by being out. And then Extroverts, have, yeah. Exactly. And then you have the executors that are in and they're like, no, 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 hold on. They have to actually fulfill the promises the salespeople make. In right. any business you're selling, yep. right? And so those two people, we have to monitor the time. So we all actually list out things that they're able to do and things that they're not able to do. Yep. Because if one side gets too far over, it stalls like an engine, right? Yep. It needs to be working in unison, in harmony. And that has to be laid out in principle. Like you have to understand job roles and how they execute. And once you get that figured out and you move forward and as long, it's, it, it is yin and yang. We talk, you know, we, as you mentioned before, but you need to bring people in and then hiring the right people in to fill those slots is important because lots of times we want to hire people that are like us. That's fun. Oh, you're my bro, right? That doesn't accomplish anything. If you get uh, an organization or people that are all like you, then you're ignoring the other half and you get too overweighted and the business gets too caught up in liabilities, nothing's being executed and it fails. Or if you get too heavy on the execution side, the underwriting, there's no opportunities to fuel the beast and it suffocates and dies. So scaling is just as much about personality and bringing those individuals in that can help you grow the business in the in your right weaknesses. way, in your weaknesses. So that's exactly how it, cause, cause for me, I would say for my businesses and the way I approach everything I'm doing, I'm very much both the visionary and the integrator. I'm not, I'm not, I would probably side lean more on the visionary side, but, um, I am almost forced to be the integrator and ideally in the future, I'd love to bring on a CFO or a COO who's just a systems freak. But right now, what I've been doing to kind of get to the next level is I view it as like buying help again, because it's hard to rationalize when you would never pay a salary, paying somebody more than what you make just to get the talent. But this guy that I'm, I'm bringing on, super talented uh, digital marketer, and he's specializes in content creation and promotion through like SEO and email, which is the two gaps in my business that I don't have the best people doing. And I can't do it all myself. So what I looked at was what's the weakest part in my company that is actually a, a revenue generating silo? Because right, like hiring a warehouse manager at 50K a year, just for an example, that's not an efficient use of my money because that, that, that could be done by somebody packing and that revenue could be spent or that, that, that money could be spent on a revenue generating activity because you kind of want to balance your revenue generating activities or, or roles and your um, operations and, and systems base. And I've been trying to find that balance. And I would say, I would say my systems are lagging behind slightly, but it's almost more important to keep revenue generating coming in so I can keep growing at the rate that I want to grow at without getting too out of whack. And so I looked at what's the biggest gap. And I think if you're running a business right now and you're looking to almost like work on it versus in it, you need to look at where's the lowest hanging fruit of revenue generating activity that is not being done efficiently. And uh, what I did is I ran costs against 
hiring people part-time that weren't experienced, hiring people full-time that weren't experienced, hiring people full-time that were experienced, hiring agencies, hiring freelancers. I, I ran through like all the analysis, what the costs would be. And I kind of did like a, um, like an opportunity cost of each, right? Yeah. It'd be great to pay somebody less, but then I have to train them for six months. Yeah. Well, if I pay them more and they, ha they come up with experience and they can just hit the ground running, what's the impact? And if I hire an agency, do I really, like, you know, there's so many questions to play and I just chose, uh, I erred on the side of more experience. Let's eat it and let's try and see if this works. Well, and that depends on too, where you want to grow. Right. Towards. So like, you know, and this is the big question. If you're trying to grow a really fully functioning operating business, the people that you bring on need to be better than you because they yes. need, you need to move upwards. And they need to take ownership. And they need to take ownership. Their, and they need to say, no, I'm in here. I'm going to build this out, right? And it's interesting as you weigh these things and as you bring those individuals in. And, uh, you know, when you're starting a company, this is super hard. Because, two, you're bringing somebody in into a system that may not have structure yet. It has no structure. It has no structure. It's terrifying. It is. And so they come in, and they're looking around, and they're used to maybe being employed at a big company that says, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Yeah. This is what you do. And this is, you know, this is your job. Yeah. So when I, you know, when we started Clearwater, the first year, I was doing everything. Yeah. I was paper, it just everything. All of it. All of it. I was the visionary. I was the implementer the and sales I and was marketing the sales and marketing I was the you know janitor everything and you know and more and when I brought on a assistant they had a very hard time because they're like what You're system all over the place yeah and I'm like I have to be because if not it doesn't happen. Right. And that's so many people are in that and they're yeah. an entrepreneur. So I bring them on and that's why I have these conversations. Here's what I'm trying to achieve. Here's what I need your help. And two, when I bring them on, I have a very, very open conversation with them. Here's what I suck at. And yeah. when I say I suck at it, I'm the worst. Yeah. And here's what you're not going to get from me. And here's what you are going to get from me. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Can you come on and help me build this out? And then they come on and they try to help. And then together you have to figure out, you know, where that line is, what's okay. And then the next hire we brought on, you know, was Colby. And that added even more structure onto that. Yeah. And then we brought you on guys a are president. Well and now we got, yeah. And we, and by the fall, dude, we were selling so much. We had to shut our sales division off. I had, we had our marketing arm and our branch, which is call centers and leads and everything else like that. I just shut them all down. Because we getting too we, much. We'd got too much and we, we weren't in a position to support it. So then we had to come on and build infrastructure. So I had to go out and get software companies, right, to come in and build software infra infrastructure to streamline, aggregate our information and our data that we could produce and our people could produce faster, more manually. Then the first part of the year came out and we just brought on the president of the company, who's my dad, who's been in it for 30 plus years. I just hired him on which is really weird because he hired me on when I started. Now I'm hiring him on. So it's funny how the world works. But And he just jumped in and he's taking over vendor relationships. He's taking over you know, a whole bunch of other, including sales training. And now we're looking for companies to buy. And so it's just a stack. It's the stack constantly. But it's hard because you're moving into uncharted territories. It is uncharted. So to speak. And you don't know exactly where the things are going or how they're going. And it, you don't know until you put them in. And this is why, too, people talk a lot about hiring, but you get a bad hire, the opportunity cost of that is astronomical. It's terrible. It's well, terrible. Because not only does it deter you from where you want it to go, it kind of pushes you back 
in terms of hours training. Like this is this is why I erred on the side of hiring, paying somebody more, and bringing them on with experience because then I don't have the gap in can this person actually even do this job. It's like no, they they already have a baseline knowledge. Let's just get them familiar with my industry. And I think that's where hiring for experience. But see, this is the crazy thing about what you did with me is that you guys hired me with really, I mean, I, I would say I worked hard and I had an interest, but I didn't have an education. I had a high school education at the time. And um, I kind of worked my way all the way up. And you guys would just throw me into things. Like I had no idea what, like you, and there was no structure, I would say, for the good chunk of the job. Like I remember there would be times you're like, hey, go build this facility. And it's like, Okay. And yep. you guys, the, the cool thing that I carry, uh, I try to carry over into what I'm doing is the way you guys manage. Um, no one ever was on me about m- doing anything. It was like, here's, you get, you should be doing this. Um, tell me how you want to do it. Like it w- you never delegated specific tasks to me, which made me take ownership of how I wanted that thing to work and how I wanted it to turn out. And I don't think there was, there might've been a two or three times in four years where you guys would be, it'd be an important thing that you guys wanted now. But that made me want to work here longer because it wasn't a drain. Because it's terrible to feel that somebody's um, just like, and this is what happened at a call center. They're just kind of pushing on you. Better better metrics, better like, and when you're doing that, you don't take ownership of the role. You're kind of just absorbing the role. But that was, and when uh, you're just you, starting out too, like, and I think that's important that you got to understand if you're a one man show, Right. When you bring something on, you need people that can figure it out and build. You need builders. You yeah. don't need cogs in the wheel. Right. Um, and so, like you're saying, you got to pay more for that. And that can suck when you're a one-man show because all of a sudden you're paying them more than you're paying yourself. Right. And, well, you know, for years at Bitterroot, we paid everyone more than us because we didn't take anything. Yeah. We and you had secondary income job. streams, which exactly. is super important. We worked another job. So we're hiring all these people on and we couldn't pay ourselves because we knew they were more important than us. Right. Because if not, I'm going to get stuck in my business. And you're going to end up doing it all. And I'm yeah. going to end up doing it all. Yeah. And so we spent a huge amount of time front loading that, but that was because we already knew we'd had experience from last. So we front loaded that and then the profit caught up and covered those people. And you see that when you see like larger companies like venture capitalists, everything like that, they front load all this money into operations. Because they know it's coming. They hire the best because they know it's coming. But for most people, 99% of people, when you start your business, you build it the other way. And two, that's fine because you don't have a tested product. You don't have anything. You got to figure it out. And you don't know where to put people. I don't know where to put people. I don't know where to hire people. I don't know where to spend the money on it. So you got to figure that out. So what AG just described, like what you literally just said is like when I started working here and I looked at how you guys built it, I was like, that's the, that's the most genius thing I've ever seen because you guys, you guys took the long road, but now you technically don't even have to work ever again. And when I looked at it, there's no other company. I've, I've, I'm, I've looked at all these businesses to buy. I've, I have tons of friends that run companies. No one's built it the way you guys built it, but you guys said you'd been there before. And the way I'm trying to build is I'm trying to front load everybody in because I can just see the the scalability aspect because if you build it all on yourself and you don't build systems in and you don't front load, you literally are like, t- you're slowly tying an anchor to your foot. Exactly. And, and you can't get that anchor off though either yeah. because things that are built on you, they inherently, even if you try to unravel it, there will be ways that you didn't build it properly. Like for instance, you guys don't have, like no one lives in your facilities. Yeah. 
no, no managers live in the facilities. Um, most people, when they start buying storage, they will look to put a manager in the facility because it's, e it's easier to manage. But it inherently is shooting yourself in the foot because you're training that manager to have bad habits. One, just the whole way. You and can't get them the, out. And, get, there's so many problems. And the management system that you guys have, um, it drives performance. Whereas if you have that type of model with self-storage, this that's just one simple yes, example, yeah. you inherently de um, deteriorate performance yes. through comfort uh -huh. and, and through p building bad habits in and through... There's so many ways that uh, so many companies are failing with that. And I think at massive scale, it's, it might be different. Like, like I'm talking REITs. Yeah. But even they still. Yeah, they don't have live-ins. They, they don't have live-ins. They, they got away from that because of the same reasons. Yeah. And, and I just look at it with e-commerce where all these people will literally build in horrible habits and horrible performance standards. I'm trying to think of just one example just to throw it out there. But like one of the worst ways is that they don't hire for platforms. So people will do all their own advertising, whether it's Google, Instagram, Facebook, Amazon, whatever platforms they're selling on. So they're, they are their own channel for um, driving revenue growth. Cause really that's all, that's how you scale e-commerce is through advertising. And if you're, if you're all contingent on that, or you're, you're relying on an agency, they hold the keys, you hold your own keys and you can't hold your own keys if you want to go far. And so what I've been trying to do, that's my, the marketing guy. That's why I looked for this specific guy because he can drive growth in areas that I know I shouldn't do and I know I can't probably do as good as him. And I just want to support him to the point where I can give him more platforms and ideally grow through hiring people for platforms because it's a similar way of managing with a storage facility. And I think that is, that is the key. Like how you build from the get-go will determine how far you can actually go. Absolutely. And where your and, ceilings are. And two, you get in a problem where you're like, okay, I now have three million dollar business and you're doing it all and then you're like no but i'm doing it right because i got to here right and you're like well you did it right to get to that point but now if you want to go to the next level you got to change things and the problem is it erodes away your, the quality of your business and the value of your business i mean think about it if you were to go purchase a business if I have to go buy a business, and I know that business is 100% dependent on that individual that's in it, and he's selling it to me, what's that business worth? Nothing. Because if he leaves, it's worth nothing. So all of a sudden now, your exit strategy is work. Because nobody wants to buy your business. Or if they do, they're going to buy it at such a low rate because they go, I have to replace you. I have to this. There's more, way more risk because you have no infrastructure. You have no business. Right. And it's so there's nothing there to buy. And so if you get a uh, business that you work on instead of work in, it's transferable. And that holds way more value to individuals because it's transferable. Then they can grow it because your base because you have a system in place and they can expound upon it. They can use their extra capital, their know-how, their leverage to build upon the structure that you've already created, right? And that's what you got to think about is you got to think about so many people think, oh, if I could just replace my income. And you go, well, first of all, in order to replace your income, let's say you make, a, you have a 5% margin. You're a small business. It takes a lot to go into it. You have a 5% margin and you make $60,000 a year. Well, okay, your business has to make how much? just to replace your own income. So it's not that that's a small thing. It's a big thing anyways. So if you're going to do it, you need to be prepared to make an actual business. And you need to be prepared to build it right to grow off of to get to that point. 
because if the, you know, the most, lifestyle business is a myth. Yeah. I hate, I, man, I just, well, cause really what you're saying, that. like it is, if $60,000, of people that start lifestyle businesses go back to work. Yeah. Well, and they, they all, they're almost inherently building themselves a worse job because just to keep it real on e-commerce numbers, like if you have a million dollars in revenue, your net income is probably going to come in around, let's say 20, 200,000 a year. Um, but that's, it's, it says net, but that's money in your accounts for all sorts of operating expenses that uh, whether you're growing, whether you need to invest into other things and you might pay yourself 30 to $80,000 a year, depending on how bullish you are on growth versus keeping the money for yourself. Well, and this is something that people job. forget. It's a job. And two, in order to grow, you need resources. I need capital. I need to leverage my capital. I need to re- leverage my people, my knowledge. I need to leverage systems that are already ex- existing. And you need to do this and you're starved. We, I, you know, and I think we had this conversation a long time ago, is the biggest downside to businesses are the people that own them because they starve the business of resources. They pull it out because they want to look cool. They want to look big. And so buy a nicer house. Buy a nicer house and car. And then they cripple their own business because they don't understand that your expenses, when you're a solo entrepreneur like that, are the business expenses. Yep. It's the same thing. And they end up starving their own company. It's one of the downfalls of working in your business, not on your business, is you become an it's just an irreplaceable part of it. So everything that you do is. And I, I talk about emulating how Bitterroot was built and how you guys are doing it. And I don't live off of any of my e-commerce income. None of it. All of it's through real estate or through advertising. So I'll advertise for e-commerce businesses because I can do better Amazon ads than most people or better uh, Facebook ads. And so I live off that income. I build my lifestyle off that income. And then everything else is poured back in, like you're saying, because if I want to scale... My expenses, my variable and my fixed costs are going to increase as I scale. Just it's, it's, you just yep. have to do just that. It's to. not an option. Uh-huh. Yep. And if I start to uh, say, oh, yeah, I want to make 100 grand a year off my e-commerce business, if I want to pay myself that, well, I'm sacrificing a salary because technically I could just make, pay myself 50. That's an extra salary a year. Um, I could be sacrificing more space for warehousing. Like just, just fixed costs that will increase as you grow can't be taken out because you're, you're, you're wanting to pay yourself more. Yeah. You, you're, and you might not even realize that you're stunting your own growth because you're like, oh, no, we don't have the cash flow to do that. Well, what are you spending your money on? Yeah. You know, it was something that we always, I, I've always believed in this. You know, I don't live on the principle. And uh, that has always steered us very, very well because I may have large incomes from other sources, but those incomes are variable from different sales and businesses and different things like that. And I only live off the, uh, on the interest that is generated from my principal. So the money that I create and make is the principal. I invest that money and then that money invested drives cash flow that is passive and that becomes the interest. And I live off that. My businesses I use to create more income. I pull it out, secure it and live off the top instead of living off the principal, which so many people you do, just and that your starves your business, it starves other investments, and it's not a way to financial freedom. Um, and it's a way to be trapped. And I've done this before. I used to say, you know, I, I was trapped on a very fast treadmill. And I was. I lived on the principal, and the principal was a lot. 
but I had to work my brains out to make it. And that was just, it was fleeting and it was not sustainable. Luckily, I had been taught very well and I had very, very low expenses. I had no debt. I did not live a lavish lifestyle. I lived on a fraction of my income. And so I was pocketing it, but it was just going into a bank account. So it was still principal. Which is still better. But it's it still, still not- better. Yeah. It, it, it allowed us to survive, you know, real estate crashes, recessions. It allowed us to survive all sorts of things and gave the fuel to run and start other businesses. Do you think that you survived the recessions because of the debt, like not having debt? Or do you think it was the, probably a mixture of both? It was a mixture of both. So when we survived the recessions, you know, it, a lot of times we were investing in real estate, but we'd stopped years before the recession just because numbers didn't make sense. We, so we've always been fairly good at capital allocation. Um, where it's, we're, you know, we're not the smartest people. And so we don't act like we are. You just look at the numbers. Uh, I look at the numbers. If it makes sense, it doesn't. And before the recession, I was like, wow, I'm really stupid because everybody's making tons of money and I can't do it. Um, and then after the recession, all of a sudden we got really smart, apparently. And then we just started buying. Because all the numbers made sense. Because all the numbers made sense. But it's not smart. It's not stupid. We just didn't know. And we don't know. And I, I don't try to make things up. And so we live conservatively because we understand cash flow is king. And that's why we call this podcast, right? Cash flow to freedom. Because the cash flow is your freedom. And where your cash flow is derived is very dependent on the lifestyle you can live. If you have secured assets that are giving you cash flow, you can live a definite higher life off that. If your cash flow, though, is derived by your stock trading every single morning, well, you can't live a very big lifestyle because you never know when that's going to end or turn around. And you know what's crazy is that people will live off their jobs without any other resources and think it's secure. Yeah. And it, it's because it, you might think, and there is a level of security yeah. more than trading because you're because it is a salary, yeah. but, but it's still, still fleeting. Like because you, you don't still, own it. You have yeah. no control over Zero it control. whatsoever. And if, if, if things go bad for the business, the economy, you are like you you are a line item yes. in the sheet. And so, and that's not a bad thing. Like you, yeah. you need to work, yeah, but, absolutely. but it just stresses like, Hey, create other streams, like go yes. and save, like s- split half your money and save that for an opportunity, whether it is a business or an investment, yeah. start to work on those other channels. Well, and what we're talking about here is the exact same thing we utilize within the business. And I've always done this. My, our independent personal financial statements that we do, which I have my own balance sheet, my own cash flow, and my own income statement, is the exact same rules that I live on off my own income that I do on my businesses. So I run those accordingly. I will never take any debt, long-term debt, that is over three times what I make. I'll never do it. And I'll never have short-term debt that is a carryover from month to month. And so there's all these financial principles that create good, healthy companies that allow them to have the resources to survive and reinvest and grow those capitals, which I implore in my own personal, right? I, I look at our personal financial sheets and I'm like, where's our ROI? Right? Those kind of things that I look at. And when you're in a business, the problem is people get in a business and then they treat the business's financials as if as they did own. when they had a job in their yeah. own. Yeah. And you're looking at it going, this is backwards. This yeah. is totally backwards. Yeah. And they're out living the life until they can't anymore. Well, yeah, it, and, and they kill their own business. The cat, that's the thing is like, it doesn't always go up. Mm-hmm. And for the years, the past few years, I think, yeah, you, it's been only up. Only like I, up. And I talked to people where, that, like I was saying earlier, like uh, before the podcast, I, I have tons of friends who've built their businesses on debt and they're carrying hundreds of thousands in debt. 
for their inventory, right? Yeah. And they they'll pay they'll pay some off when their cash flows are up high, and and then they need to pull more when their cash flows are lower because it is a, it's a changing thing. Yeah. But what happens when this economy isn't like how it is, yeah. and you do have six bad months? Yeah. Do you have the cash to last? Well, what happens when you have six bad months and then your also your interest rate on your debt doubles? And so now the spread between your inventory and your buying, your, your price of capital, you just what you're buying, is gone. You're done. done. And you need to close it up. you got to close up. Um, and so there's things that you can in, input in your business that helps your business be sustainable and survive. And these, the structure of building it will depend on how fast you can scale it, if you can get out of your business and work on it. And it's not saying that if you didn't do that before, you can't go back and do it. You can. But lots of times you have to do things that you don't like. Maybe you have to limit your personal spending down and your lifestyle that you don't want to. But you need to limit your lifestyle so you can bring somebody else on to go further and two, to secure the revenues. So when you look at a business, and this is really important, your, your sources of revenue are not all the same. Most businesses have multiple sources of revenue. And the source of revenue is very, very important because you need to be able to stabilize that and create it so it continually comes in. And you need to be able to value those sources of revenue. So products, different lines, different avenues, whether it's sales, and you need to look and say, what are my more secure revenues and how do I secure those revenues even more? And keep them growing. And keep yeah. them growing. Yeah. And so when you're building businesses out and when you're in, in putting policies and procedures and people, you're securing those revenues without you. Yeah. That's really important. It, it makes your business more predictable, more reliable. It makes it safer. It and is. it makes you more dollars that are invested it makes it worth more. It's a method. It's a method of reinvestment. It yeah. is. Yeah. And this capital management is more than just managing the capital. It's understanding, you know, it's a value coming into you and how you get it. And by you doing the work, if you're a solo entrepreneur and you're out there knocking doors, I love it. Right. I love it. That's awesome. I did that. Been there. Literally out knocking doors. I think that's amazing. You've got to get a plan to get out of that situation as quick as possible. And you need to figure out the foundations that you need to lie, which means you have to work twice as hard so that half of your income can go to hiring another person or buying software that will automate those things for you. And it's ongoing. I just, just this morning, we were looking at uh, software that would analyze claims data and capital for larger clients that we utilize. And I've been saying, do I need to bring in underwriters to create professional reports or can I automate it with a software? What are the pros and cons to that? And it was much easier and scalable to use a software program. So we're going down that route. And this Thursday, we're get, trying to get the contracts to get it done. But this is money I'm pulling out of my pocket to put into my business that I don't get to take out that I don't need now. I don't need it now but I will in six months. And I know I will. And it's this is reinvesting your capital into your business means you're putting it back into this infrastructure for it to grow. But I'm, you got to reinvest that capital into things that are not one time. So you, that capital that you're taking out and putting it in, this should be foundation. So I'm creating a system that will keep generating further returns while securing those revenues coming in. Not just a one-time thing. It's not like, oh, I took somebody out to a dinner. That's not investing. That's expenditures 
right? Now, hiring a new person on to produce a certain function, bringing in software that will do certain types of things, those are infrastructure investing into the business. And you need to understand the differences between that, expenditures and investing, and how that capital will work within the business. I think we beat this to a, ho- we to a dead horse. Yeah, beat I mean, it. Like, because because I think that's. I mean, you, you, we basically laid it out. It, it, you you need to double down, and and I think that's kind of where we're both at in certain aspects of the of each business. Yeah, just keep pouring your money back into the company. And you know, once again, there's right ways and wrong ways to do this, but this can be small. Whether you're starting out, you need to be thinking about this and how you grow in the future. Start so now. Start now. Start today. Even if you're not doing it. Plan it out. Yep. So how many employees am I going to have? What is it going to take to run all them? Am I going to need a CRM? And then start looking, how much money do I need to make to hire my first person? So plan your infrastructure in your planning. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's good. All right, everybody. We beat that one to death. I hope that was full of knowledge. Uh, I apologize. We we don't like fluff very much. We just like to get straight into it and beat them till they're dead. Um, and it's half for us and half for you. So let us know if this was good, guys. If you appreciated it, five-star rating. That helps us keep doing this and keep doing it for free. So thanks, everybody. And until next time, we'll see you. See you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.